So we're at uh, chapter 4 in 1 Peter. Somebody asked me this morning, what's the new series? And I said, there's two more. Might have felt like a climax uh, last week with that powerful passage, but, uh, but there's even bonus a bonus chapter, so we'll continue to move on. So Peter writes in chapter 4, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough of, in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That's why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So Peter begins this passage, this section, he says, so, so, in, in other words, following up from everything else that he's said so far and, uh, and the way that he's instructed them in how to face a world that's, that's not always friendly to the gospel or people trying to live it out, he says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. It's kind of a strange phrasing if you're paying attention. He says, arm yourselves for, because it's a battle. Now, I, I grew up in Toronto in my teenage years, and I went to Northern Secondary School. It was a bit of a rough school. And there was a guy there that went to junior high with me, and I was, believe it or not, super skinny in high school. I had a, like a 26-inch waist, which is really, really uh, nice when you're in high school. Teenage boys treat the guys with the little skinny waist really, really nice, really. And, uh, and so there was one guy from my junior high, went to my high school, and he hated me. Like every time he passed me in the hall, he had a derogatory name, and he would just slur me. And, and I, I, I tried ignoring him. I tried that tactic. People tell you, well, just ignore him, and they'll stop. 
He didn't. He kept coming at me. And, and one day, I'd, I'd had kind of a rough day, and I'm walking down uh, the tech hallway where my locker was, and he came by me, and he yelled it at me, and I said it back to him, and then it was on. And so we were, we were going at each other, and he was kind of fast, so he pulled my, my jacket and my, and my shirt up over my uh, head, and I was on the ground. He was lying on top of me, and he was punching me, and, and I, I couldn't get away from him. So my big tactic was I let him hit me twice in the face. I kind of turned my head a little bit. And then, and then I moved and started dodging, and he hit the floor. So uh, his friends were kind of kicking me while I was down, and, you know, not many people were noticing. It was kind of a busy hallway, and, and I didn't know how this was going to end. And then I think somebody saw a teacher coming, so it all scurried away, and I got up and pulled my shirt back down. And moved on with my day. But he ran around this school with about 10 of his friends. And, uh, and I remember spotting him outside of the schoolyard, you know, where nobody's coming to save you. And I'd be on my own or with one or two friends, and there's like 10 of them. So I was, I was getting a little nervous. So I started carrying a chain in my Adidas bag. So I had this big chain, and my big plan was I was going to wrap it around my knuckles and swing it and, you know, and... And, and fight him off if I could. But this was my plan of safety. I was in high school. What do you do, right? Running to adults didn't help. That made it worse. And that was my, my big go-to move I thought would save me. And so I've been in ministry for 30 years now. I don't carry a chain to work. I'm not going to tell you what I got in my pocket at board meetings, but no. But here's the thing. I still got a reason to arm myself. Peter uses that language on purpose, and in case that one little word kind of escapes you when you're reading through it, I mean, think about that for a minute. He chooses his words really carefully, and he says, arm yourselves for this battle you're in. Since Christ suffered physical pains, arm yourself. Like, he, Christ got crucified, so arm yourself. If he stopped there, we'd have a certain picture in our mind of what we should be doing. And it might involve chains or bigger weapons if we could get our hands on them. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you arm yourself with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. He says, it's a battle, and you're at war, and you're fighting for this, but the way that we fight against the hatred and the violence that they threw at Jesus and they are likely to throw at you is to arm yourself with Jesus' attitude in that situation and be ready to suffer. And then he says, if you've suffered physically for Christ, like if that's your lot, if that's what you faced, if they're coming at you in violent ways and you have suffered physically for Christ, he says you finished with sin. So, what he's saying there kind of starts to change the way we look at things. And he says, if, if you've suffered physically for Christ, like if you've gone through that and you've allowed it to happen, if you've gone through it and you've suffered and you suffered specifically because you're serving Jesus and you're still serving Jesus, he goes, there's something about that that means that you're really done with the sin life because the sin life is about something completely different. And so he says there's this battle, and the battle is to be done with sin. And so he spells out what being done with sin means, and he goes on in verse 2 to say, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. 
but you will be anxious to do the will of God. He says there's like two ways to live. You can chase your own human desires. You can go after what you want. You can build the big dream of your big goals and, and what you want to accomplish in life and, and what you're trying to do. And the whole world is telling you, chase your dreams. Go after it. If you want something, go get it. And Peter says that's not what you're supposed to do. You don't chase your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. If you are willing to suffer for Christ, if you've locked in so that this is the most important thing in your life and nothing that, that the world can throw at you is going to stop you, if that's your situation, then you're done with sin. And because you're done with sin, you're done with selfishness. Because all sin really boils down to selfishness, right? And so he goes, you're not about the selfish desires that you were chasing before. You're done with that. That's over. And now you're going to be anxious to, to do the will of God. He says that's what it means to be done with sin. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be willing to suffer is that you give up what you're after and you go, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to engage here? And so he says you'll be anxious to do God's will like you'll want to do it. And you'll be done with the other side of all your selfishness. So it's like a very, very binary choice for him, right? It's like A or it's B. It's one or the other. You're either going to chase your own desires or you're going to chase God. You're either going to be anxious to do what he wants you to do or you're going to feed whatever is in you that you want. And you're going to indulge everything for you. Everything's about number one or it's about God. So he really draws a sharp line between the two. And now he says that's how they live now for God instead of themselves. But he says, but he points out to his listeners, like he's, he's written to this group of churches that are, are hard-pressed now, but he says, it wasn't always that way, Peter says. Like you didn't always used to live this way. He goes on to say, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. So he says the people in, in the churches he's writing, they had a past, right? They lived differently. They had different goals in life and everything was about indulging them. So they drank and, and they ate and they partied and they chased their lusts, everything that they wanted for so badly in life. That was the things that they went after to the point where he says, and their terrible worship of idols. And here's the thing. We might feel when we hear scripture tell us about idols that we're safe because I don't, you know, I don't have a little statue in my garage that I go out and bow down to. Um, I, I don't have something in a prayer closet that I look to, some ornament that has become sacred to me. But an idol really is anything that we put in the place of God, anything that takes the attention and the worship and, and the honor that we owe to God. When anything else takes his place as the priority in our lives, that becomes an idol. And so Peter says, for you guys, it was, it was lust and it, and it was drunkenness and you went after that stuff, but all of it's idols. Like there's, there's idols that we put and we build and we make it so important that that's the thing we spend our time thinking about and that's the thing we spend all our resources on and that's the thing that occupies our hearts in ways that are really unhealthy because they take the place of God and he should have such primacy for us. He should be the most important thing. 
And so Peter says, you had enough of that, but now you've got something different. So you're anxious to do the will of God, like you're eager to do it. And you don't want anything to do with the old selfish desires. And you don't indulge yourself in those ways that are just about you, making you feel better. You don't need that because you've got God. And he replaces it. He replaces it because that's not for you anymore. And he replaces it in such a way that you don't need that. You don't want that. Like it's, your, your, your desires have changed. And the focus and the goal of your life is chasing after him rather than chasing any of that. And so even if you can't relate to those particular sins, you know that we all got these things from our past that we were into. And I, I love how a few minutes ago when we were singing that song, you know, come Holy Spirit, and we said, you're welcome here. And it says, you've, you know, my shame is done, right? My shame is undone because of you. I don't chase that stuff that made me ashamed that I, that I wanted it and ashamed that I did it, but I'm chasing something better now. And so they've changed, and, and, and he says to them that their old friends notice. And so he goes on to say, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. He says the stuff that they do, the stuff that you used to do, it was destructive. It was destructive to other people. Sin hurts people, Right? How many wounds are we carrying collectively on our souls from people whose sins have harmed us in some way? And we carry the wound of that because somebody hurt us so deeply and we know what they did was wrong. And then, of course, sin is also self-destructive because even when we're the harmer and not the harmed, we, uh, it, it changes us in, in really ugly ways and it hurts who we are and who we were born to be. And so sin is selfishness, but it's also self-destructive. That selfishness kind of implodes on itself, and it starts to eat away at us, and it destroys who we were born to be. And so we're never satisfied. We never have that sense of, of well-being as long as we allow it to have its way. And so Peter says, look, it's, there's this self-destructive selfishness that you're dealing with, but remember but remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the spirit. He says God's the ultimate judge and, and, and God looks over our lives and it's not that he's nitpicking with every detail but he says unless you get away from that self-destructive life it will destroy not just your body but your soul and, and you don't need that. You need Jesus. You need his life. You need the life that you were born to live that's full of fulfillment. And so he says if, if we won't allow him to change us we will self-destruct like we'll implode. And so he says it's destructive, but, uh, but that's not for you. So he says, remember, every one of us has to stand before God, and we're, we're going to have to give account for how we've lived and the choices we've made. But he says that's why the good news was preached. 
Because the good news gives us a way out from under even the things we've already done, the stains that are on our soul, the burdens that we carry because of ourselves and our own behavior and our own mistakes and our own choices and our own sin. And that's why in the, in the Wesleyan church, when they, when they give the description of, of a pastor's role, they talk about, you know, leading the worship of the church and preaching the gospel. But then when they, when they refer to outsiders, it, it, it says that, that the pastor's job is to comfort sin-burdened souls. I love that. It's like we're walking around with this baggage that weighs us down and sometimes people try to pretend like they're happy and they're not and they've got all this weight on them and it says, hey, your job isn't to go wagging your finger and going hard at them and telling them off, but your job is to bring them comfort because the truth is that they're hurting. They're hurting other people and they're hurting themselves and they're harming themselves by that sin and you should help them find some relief. And so God is patient with us. But we need to remember that ultimately there is a reckoning, like there's a coming to terms with all of that. And so Peter says, the end of the world is coming soon. <laughs> but he's not talking doomsday. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So he says, look, in the meantime, if you've locked into Jesus, if you're trying to follow him, if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to do in you what only he can do, then you've left the past behind and you're trying to live for him and, and gradually your desire for that other stuff is fading away and your desire for God is replacing it. And so then he reminds them that they should be praying, that they should pray earnestly and disciplined. Like it, it takes discipline sometimes to pray, right? It takes effort to, to work up to a prayer when you're not feeling like praying. But he says, look, just, just lean into it. Work at it. And then he says, most important, continue to show deep love for each other. You, you pray and, and, and love each other. Like you need each other. You need support. And if you're not having a hard time, you still need to be in church because you never know who you're sitting next to. And whether, they're whether the smile that you gave them and, and just the welcome whether that actually made a difference to them. Sometimes later people will say, you know, I, I, was, I was really struggling and I was thinking about cashing it all in and I sat in church and I sang and, I, and you know, somebody talked to me and, and we didn't end up talking about what was going on, but something about the way that they spoke to me made a difference. Like you, even if you don't feel like you need to be here for you, you might need to be here that Sunday for someone else. And sometimes God will bring somebody to mind and, and, and you should pick up the phone and call them or go visit them because we need to be able to express that deep love for each other. We need it. I need it. And so he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Like we make mistakes, we do things, we make choices that are damaging to us and others. But when you love each other, you work through those things and you work past them. 
and you try to keep moving more into the direction of desiring God and living for him and less into the desire of being selfish. And when we catch ourselves back in those old patterns of selfishness, it's like we might need a little love to help grease the wheels of that and help us to realize what we've done and why that's not something for us anymore. And so he says it takes effort. He says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. He says, like, sometimes you just need to have people over. Sometimes people just need to come over to your house and eat a meal with you. And that can make a huge difference. Like this year when we've been doing all these connect groups, we get together and we eat and we talk. Like that's most of it. Like we do these projects and, and those are great. But when we get together and we eat and we talk, there's something about it that kind of empowers us. And I, all the groups I've been to, like we're, we're really loving each other when we gather. And because we've had that place of love in our lives, it makes it easier to go out there and do what we got to do and meet who we got to meet and, and sometimes deal with what we got to deal with. And you never know the difference that that can make when you sh just share a meal with people or when you uh, put people up when they need a place to stay. And then he says, God has given you a, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. He doesn't say God might have given you a gift. And sometimes we're looking for somebody to do something in the church, and you ask people, and they go, oh, that's not my gift. And it's like, well, what is your gift? Because the scripture doesn't say everybody has all the spiritual gifts, and it doesn't say that, you know, everybody has a certain amount, but it says nobody who becomes a believer in Jesus doesn't have a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts' purpose for them is to edify the body, to, to serve other Christians. And so it's up to us to figure out what our gift is and to engage it. And Peter says one of the ways that we can strengthen each other is not just get together and eat and care for each other, but that we should be using our spiritual gifts. So he spells out two of them. He says, if you got the gift of speaking, then speak as if God were speaking through you. Like if you're going to speak, like be listening to God so you can say his words and it's like he's speaking. And if you can channel that, then then God gets the glory and God can do things with his word. And then he says, if, do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy God supplies. Like use all of your energy and all of your strength to do what God's called you to do in the church and to use your gifts to serve others. And so even though the end is coming, he says this world won't last forever. So we pray diligently and we love each other and we show hospitality. We, we share our home and we, and we use our spiritual gifts. And then if we follow Peter's advice, he promises that this will be the result. He says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. This is the end result of your life after all the things you're facing and all the pressures you're dealing with and, and trying to get out of your own selfishness. When all of that feels like a grind, realize that everything you do, if you're working at that, if you're trying to follow him, if you're leaning into him and he's what you want more than you want the old life and the old self-indulgent selfishness of the old ways, he says, then you will bring glory to God. Like that's what your life will be about. That will be the thing that you accomplish is that you will bring glory to God through Jesus. 
then Peter says, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Like he is the one and he deserves our glory. And in the middle of the grind, when it's hard to let go of the old desires, when it's hard to move into the new life, when it's tough to give up because we realize that we keep slipping back into the old ways, he says, when you feel like that, just understand that your whole purpose in life is to give glory to God. And you'll never feel whole till you do it. But if you do, he deserves it so much. He deserves everything that you could give him and everything that you could dedicate to him and all glory and power to him forever and ever. He says, like, that's it. Like, that's everything. Your life will have meaning and purpose. And it'll make sense. And it'll fall together in the way that it was designed to from the very beginning of time. And Peter says, that's something worth striving for. And that's something worth shooting for. And the Holy Spirit working in you will accomplish those things in ways that you could not. And so God is at work in us. And his work becomes complete. When we just decide that we want him more than we want that, then he will honor our request. He will grant us the desires of our heart when what we want is him and his kingdom and his life-giving. And that selfishness that is so hard to let go of, he'll pry it from our hands and he'll give us something so much better in return. And we'll be in a place where we can give him all the honor and all the glory that he deserves. And Peter says that, that's what this is all about. And that's what makes the suffering worth it. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose and Jesus is at work at you. And if you could glorify him for what he's done for us, you should do it. Chase that. And you will arrive at the greatest destination of your life.